Well, good morning. It is good to be here today. My name is Dylan, as Pastor Ryan mentioned, and I'm the youth pastor here at Life Church. Um, and, and I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. We actually flew down to Dallas, Texas, where my wife's family lives, and we were there for several days. And uh, we, it was 42 degrees when we flew out of Dallas at 7:10 yesterday morning. And when we arrived at Milwaukee at the airport, it was a total of one degree. Never in my 25 years of existence have I experienced one degree weather. That's, that's not something in my repertoire. I'm not prepared for that mentally, physically, uh, even spiritually. Like, I'm not ready um, for that. And so, so I was on... Um, on my news feed this morning called Twitter, because that's where I get all my news from. And I was reading along, and I, I, I still get updates from the Houston news stations on my Twitter. And they were warning everyone um, that, that, that a cold front's coming through. And uh, get ready, because it's going to be really cold on New Year's Day. It's going to be a total of 28 degrees. Um, and, and I'm like, you don't even know. Uh, you don't even know. I went from one extreme of 105 degree weather to now um, negative something or other that is unspeakable. So uh, it is good to be here. It is good to be back. It's good to be inside. Um, and, and I've heard that once it reaches a certain temperature, just don't go outside and you'll be fine. So we'll figure out how that works in the next few days as it continues to remain ridiculously cold. Uh, but I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 12. And as you are, uh, first of all, it's so good to be here. Um, it's awesome to be a part of a church that believes in the next generation and gives young people as myself, I still consider myself young, uh, opportunities to minister and be a part of what God is doing on a larger scale. And, and I love seeing our youth connected and serving. I love seeing, uh, uh, sometimes when you'll drive up, you'll see students uh, helping you park. And so I love seeing that. I love seeing our students serving. It's good to be a part of a church that believes in and invests in the next generation. And so thank you, Pastor Aaron, for that. That is truly an honor. Um, not all churches are like that. Not all churches do that. Not all churches believe in that. And so that truly is special to be a part of a church that is like that. Uh, and also, here as we um, are closing out the year, I want, I want to invite you to remember, to remember, remember what your year's been like. First of all, I, I want to congratulate you because here on December 31st of 2017, you made it to church. So that's a big deal. Could you, and I know this is weird, this may feel awkward, but could you give yourself a little round of applause? Because I think you deserve it. You woke up, last day of the year, last opportunity to go to church. You're in church. You made it. You're seated here. Now, you may fall asleep in the next 5, 10, 15 minutes. That's okay. But you're here, and that's what, that's what counts, right? Um, so, so welcome. It's, it's good that you're here. Uh, but, but only natural, as we conclude one year and begin another it's only natural for us to begin to remember and reflect upon that year. It's only natural to begin to catalog it as it was a good year or a bad year. It's only natural for us to look at the experiences, the successes and failures of this year and to begin to try to give a title to what we've just experienced in the last last 365 days. And so I want to invite you, even now as I uh, start to tell you about my previous year, to write down some things that stood out to you about your year. The good and the bad, 
the things that made you happy, the things that truly uh, made you sad, the things that were awesome and amazing and the things that were too difficult to bear. I want you to remember, because I truly do believe that as we remember, it brings about a catharsis in our life that helps to bring healing and hope that we can move forward even in the midst of what we're going through. Uh, this year, um, if I could find one word to describe this year for me and my wife and, and kind of uh, our, our the time period of, of what we experienced, I, I, it would be change. We've experienced a ton of change this year. Um, uh, number one, I turned a quarter of a century, a quarter of a century old. Is that a thing? Uh, I turned 25 years old, and I feel like that's pretty good progress in life. Like I'm one fourth of the way to 100. I'm on my way. And I know to some of you that's like nothing. To some of you, you're two or maybe three times that mark. But but just hey, I've made one fourth of the way there. I, like I'm proud of that accomplishment. Um, this year I performed my first wedding. Uh, my friends were getting married. I was uh, they they had gone through. Uh, marriage counseling, they were going to use that. Pastor, the, the dates didn't work out, whatever. I was their last ditch effort. I was asked, asked like two weeks before they got married, and I was like, sure. Um, does it pay? No. Uh, but I got to perform my first wedding for two close friends of ours, and that was awesome. Uh, another thing, uh, on a not-so-bright scale, my wife and I, uh, in the process of moving, were trapped inside of our apartment for four or five days straight due to Hurricane Harvey and the flooding that ensued. Yeah, and, and so we look at this year, and it's been a year of ups and downs and in-betweens, and a year where we've had great experiences, and a year where we've had to really, really churn through difficult times. And I look at other people who were affected by those floods and affected by that storm, and I look how their life was drastically different now from what it was just a few months ago. Not to, not to mention that uh, just shortly thereafter, my wife and I packed everything we had into a 12-foot U-Haul. And uh, some of you didn't even know there were 12-foot U-Hauls. It's the smallest one you can find. Why? Because I was terrified to drive one across the country. And so we packed it all into the smallest one we could find. We sold everything else that we could uh, so that we could cram everything into this little box truck and I could drive it across the country to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A place that when I told people in Houston I was moving to, I was asked by one of my ninth grade students if Wisconsin was in Canada. <laughs> to us, it was literally a foreign concept. One thing you should know, Texans are very proud, and when it comes to geography outside of Texas, they really don't know much about Oklahoma, other than Oklahoma and Arkansas because Oklahoma is our greatest rival in football, and Arkansas is our long-lost nephew. So, like... Our geography doesn't really extend beyond just north of who we are. And so when I'm telling other people that live at, like, at the coast, they live on the water, that we're moving across the country and we're going to be living almost on the water, it's, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't connect. It doesn't correlate. And so here we are. This year was full of change. This year was full of something different. And as I remember, as I reflect, I begin to see all that God did, even in the midst of the good and the bad, the happy and the sad. I see God's hand working and moving and changing in the midst of it all. And I think we see this especially in funerals and, and funeral times, that, that funerals incorporate this, this level of sadness, this level of seriousness. And yet at the same time, I've never been to a funeral where people didn't laugh. 
not out of awkwardness, not out of uh, because they don't know how to respond, but because th- they're remembering how this person affected their lives. They're remembering how this person made a difference. They're remembering how this person brought smile to pe- smiles to people's faces, even in the most difficult times. Uh, funerals have laughter and sadness, tears and joy. They have a, a wide range of emotions. And to me, essentially, when we come to the end of a year, I kind of view it the same, that we're holding a funeral, in essence, for 2017. As we launch into 2018, we're, we're letting one die as we move into another year. And sometimes we can get hung up and think that all of this transition it has to be sad. And yet I think that God has uh, the ability to turn that which seems sad in a moment as far as a transition to something that he wants to use for our betterment and for our good. And I think in John chapter 12, where we're about to read, Jesus speaks to that in an essence where he's saying that it's going to take one thing dying for something else to truly live. And I want to look here in John chapter 12, verse 23. It reads like this. But Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will also keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. But now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came and said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. Real quick, real quick, before we launch any further, I want to give a little bit of background to this text so that we can better understand. Just prior to this, Jesus giving this little diatribe that we just read, Jesus had entered Jerusalem for what would be the last time. He had entered on the back of a donkey, and he's entering this city. And as he's entering, people are waving palm branches and laying their cloaks down before him that he would, tr- that he would walk into the city on that. And they're crying out, blessed be the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We commonly in church circles today dub, dub this as Palm Sunday. He's, he's entering Jerusalem for, Jerusalem for what would be the last time. And there at the end of the week, after he would say what we just read, at the end of the week, Jesus would be arrested, placed on trial, whipped, and crucified. And he would die. And so right here in the midst of his final days on earth, we have Jesus giving us this passage, this, the, these words, among all the words he said in his final week of existence on earth, this was included... And, and I, I don't know about you, but if I knew I had one week to live, I'd be doing something crazy. Um, I'd be going skydiving immediately, whether I'm in Texas or Wisconsin, I'd go skydiving. I'd, I may freeze halfway down if I do it here. I may turn into an icicle, but like it's one week left, right? Let's go. Um, I'd be spending time with family and friends, those that I love the most and that I'm closest to. I would go and find the best Tex-Mex in all of the world. I, I would fly. All, I would spend money to go find that Tex-Mex. I would find chips and salsa that would blow my mind. But why? Because that, that is my food of choice. I believe it's going to be in heaven 
at the marriage supper of the land, and I cannot wait. It's going to be good. Uh, but I'd spend my last few days doing the things that I love the most. And here in Jesus' last few days, he found it important to tell us this. And John, the writer of the Gospel of John, found it also important to record these words that Jesus said. And so this isn't just another day in Jesus' life. This isn't just another casual, uh, casual teaching or casual parable that he's throwing at us. This is in his final days. This is betwixt this, this amazing entry and this amazing exit that Jesus is going to have. And so here Jesus gives us this passage. Looking at the passage, Jesus says a peculiar phrase to begin it. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. When we typically think of glory, we, we, we think of honor, we think of a throne, we think of crowns, we think of, we think of riches and wealth, and yet Jesus is not speaking of that necessarily. He's speaking of a glorification that would take place through his death, burial, and resurrection. This is not a glory that you and I would strive for or, or desire. We would not desire to be glorified through dying. And yet this is the way that Jesus knew it had to take place. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. A lot of us desire the product of being glorified without the process that it takes to get there. God is more about the process than we realize. For in the process, it's when he prepares us to receive the product that he has for us. For Jesus to be glorified, he had to go through the process and, and, and be crucified that he might then rise again and receive the glory that had been set for him. Jesus knew this and understood this. This was the whole reason that Jesus came in the first place. This was who Jesus was. He then goes into this agricultural reference, something Jesus did often. If you know anything about the New Testament and anything about parables that Jesus would speak of, he would often use agriculture, seeds, plants, uh, the, the, the farming to, to be a part of what he would teach and how he would talk. Why? Because it was common to that day and to that age. And so Jesus once again launches into an agricultural reference uh, as he would uh, often do. And it begins to talk about a seed. And that unless a seed dies, it can never bear much fruit. If it remains a seed, then it will only be a seed. But if it, is, if it dies and if it is buried, it will bear much fruit. On face value, we look at it, and I think every single one of us understand that if we're just to hold the seed in our hand, nothing is going to take place. It will not magically sprout. It will not magically blossom. It will not magically transform in the palm of your hand. But if we bury it in the ground, we take care of it, it will sprout, it will blossom, it will begin to grow, and it will bear much fruit. And yet Jesus was going deeper than just the face value of this. He was calling himself the seed that would be planted, that would have to die and be buried in the ground. That upon the rising of himself, the raising of himself from the dead, he would bear much fruit in believers all around the world. And so this is once again foreshadowing to his death. Jesus would often do this in that he would give something that would make sense right then and there, but it would also make sense for where he was going and what was going to take place. So Jesus is foreshadowing to his death. And I hope, uh, because Jesus, Jesus makes this claim in his life, that I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, but the only way that you and I could receive life is if he were to die. Jesus taught things often that didn't make sense at first. Jesus taught things often that didn't necessarily click with people he was talking to right then and there. He taught things like this, um, for you to be for, first, you must be last. He who is greatest among you will be the least. 
Matthew 16, 25 says, for whoever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Things seem backwards. Things seem a little jumbled the way Jesus would talk, and yet that is truly what it is. You're never going to be the best if you're only seeking to be the best. If you lose yourself, then that's when you'll find yourself. This is what Jesus would teach over and over. And so he, he then teaches that for, for you to truly live, you truly must die. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. As, as we come to the end of a year and like a seed, this year goes into the ground and dies. A new year sprouts forth and a new year begins. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I ask right now, what in your life must die in order for you to truly live in Christ this new year? What in your life must die for you to truly live in Christ this next year? And I know when we ask that question, we can commonly think of behaviors, we can commonly think of uh, actions, we can commonly think of words that we say or don't say. And yet I think God is calling us to something more than that. He's calling us to more than a New Year's resolution. Because trust me, tomorrow I'm going to start. I'm going to lose 87 pounds starting tomorrow. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm not going to touch any sugar. I love cookies, but man, I'm not going to touch a chocolate chip cookie for the next 364 days. That's a lie. I'm going to eat. I'm going to be in the gym all the time. Why? Because these are my New Year's resolutions. And by January 21st, I will break every single one of them. That's what happens. We've all tried to modify our behaviors. We've all tried to eat right, do right, work out. We've all tried to uh, read our Bible more. We've all tried to pray more. We've all tried to wake up earlier, and then we hit the snooze button 87 times. We've all tried to modify our behaviors. But this is more than just behavior modification. God is about soul transformation. And if we're going to be different in 2018 than when we were in 2017 and before, we must allow God to transform our soul and transform our heart. And so here in this passage, we see that God is saying that in a world full of selfies, Jesus has called us to be selfless. I know, I know that sounds cheesy, but in a world full of selfies, God has called us to be selfless. Here's, here's why I said that. Did you know that millennials are projected to take 25,700 selfies in their lifetime? 25,700. I, I know this, and I know that seems like a lot, but it really seems like a lot when you break it down to somewhere in an 80 year span of life, that's one a day. Hoping that they don't get a phone till sometime there in high school, that means somewhere between high school and 90 something years old, they're taking one selfie on average a day. We're very selfish people. We're very self-consumed. And I know, I know, I know, I get it. Uh, those of you that are not millennials and you may be a little bit older, you're looking at us millennials and you're judging us right now. But I've seen you. I've seen you taking a selfie with the camera way too close to your face. I've seen you, grandma, grandpa, trying to get all your children and grandchildren in a picture by you taking the selfie and you only get half of anybody's heads. I, I see you posting the selfie. So, like, I understand we all are trying to do this selfie thing, and it's not working for any of us. We post too many. We post too little. We post somewhere in between, but it's not the right quality. Did you know that the iPhone 10, the iPhone 10 has such a great quality front-facing camera that people are complaining about it? People are complaining because their selfies look too good. Not look too good, but the quality of the picture is so good that it reveals all of their blemishes. 
It reveals all of their issues. It doesn't cover up quite as much as it used to. It doesn't kind of blur as much as it used to. So you're seeing every single flaw in your face. And now we're so selfish that we're upset that the quality of the product you made is too good that it's messing up how I look. We're selfish people. We're self-consumed. You talk to any two-year-old and you try to take their toy away. The only word they know to say is mine. But they know how to say mine. You ask them to do something they don't want to do. They don't say yes, they say no. I've never met a two-year-old that is able to say yes prior to saying no. I don't know why. I don't know if it's easier. There, There may be something there, but it may just be because we're selfish. We are selfish people. It's who we are. It's ingrained in our blood. It's in our DNA. That is our nature. We're selfish. And yet here in John chapter 12, 25, Jesus says anyone who loves their life will lose it. Meaning if you're consumed by your own self, you will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That for you and I to truly gain eternal life, we must not be about ourselves. That's what Jesus is calling us to. This is why we as a church, we do angel tree. And this past Christmas season, we gave so many presents to so many different families so they could experience Christmas on a whole other level that they could not do on their own accord. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about our Christmas. It's not about us building a bigger building. It's not about us building bigger things, but it's about us doing for people what they can never do for themselves. This is why we do one day to feed the world so that people all across the world can eat while you and I just take one day's offering and bring it to the church and then we send it out that children may have food to eat. This is why we do our greater initiative uh, so that we can uh, supply missionaries with funds and, and support all across the world so they can take the gospel to places that you and I will never go and can never go. This is the, the DNA of this church is that we are not about us. We're about others. We're about giving. That's why we've sent a team to India already this past year. That's why we're sending a team to Tanzania this next year. That's why our students are planning to go to Belize in the summer. Because we are not about us. And anytime we can get outside of our own little four walls of our life and we can get a bigger perspective of this world, we lessen the view of ourselves and we magnify the view of God in this world. Because it's not about us. And I know on the end of this 2017 year, this message isn't all cute, cuddly, warm, and fuzzy. This isn't like pixie dust and roses. This isn't necessarily the easiest thing to walk through. And yet, truthfully and honestly, this is what the gospel is, that it's not about us. God has called us to be selfless. At Christmas, uh, my my two little cousin-in-laws, I don't know if that's a thing, but I call them that. My two little cousin-in-laws, they're the youngest in the bunch, and they got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas. And immediately, joy just consumed everything about them. If you don't know what the Nintendo Switch is, the Nintendo Switch is the newest game system that is out. It's like all the rage right now. And uh, they got this, and it's amazing. It's wonderful. And they began playing it. So joyous, so happy, so amazing. Yet within an hour, I'm I'm dead serious, within an hour, almost all the joy was gone. Because one, one brother was playing it too long, the other brother wanted to play, this brother was trying to make up how long he could play, and this brother was going to mom and complaining. Mom was yelling at brother, brother was yelling at brother, brother was yelling at dad, dad yelling at brother. It was just this constant circle of trying to get who could play the most and who could be who could be on the game system and get the furthest on Mario Kart. And, and uh, I'm over here watching and, and seeing how joy in one moment within an hour had diminished to the selfishness of how can I get the most out of playing this game? 
And while funny, while cute, while, uh, while, while really funny to watch take place, it, it's really a microcosm of our culture. It's really a very small picture of who we are as people and that we're selfish. And, and, and we can receive joy from an object in a moment, but the moment that we, uh, but, but it doesn't take long before it stems and turns into selfishness. For the call of God is to be selfless. And it's not about us, which brings us to this, that in a world full of glory seekers, God has called us, Jesus has called us to be glory bringers. In a world full of glory seekers, Jesus calls us to be glory bringers. John chapter 12, verse 28, we read it earlier. Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. We look at this passage and Jesus, the Savior of the world, doesn't say, Father, glorify my name. You'd think that if any human being ever existed on this earth that had the ability to ask a voice in heaven, God himself, to bring glory to his name, it would have been Jesus. I would not have any problem reading this passage and seeing Jesus say, Father, glorify me. I wouldn't. Why? Because Jesus is Savior of the world. Savior of the world, redeeming every single possible thing that has ever possibly existed. He's made a way for you and I to have life where we should only be deserving of death. And so I would have no issue with Jesus saying, Father, glorify me. And yet even Jesus, Savior of the world, walker on water, the one who healed the lame, healed the blind, and raised the dead. Even he said, Father, glorify your name. Why? Because Jesus recognized that it's all about God. That even in the midst of the greatest rescue mission of all time, Jesus recognized that the glory, all glory, be unto God. 1 Corinthians 10, 30, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I don't know about you if you've ever tried while eating your Wheaties to bring glory to God while eating a bowl of cereal. It doesn't necessarily quite make sense with me, but I think what the writer is honestly trying to get us to is that, man, whatever we're doing, even so basic as eating or drinking, whether uh, even at that level, may we do it to the glory of God. May everything we do be for the glory of God. I have to ask you, and I have to ask myself this question as we close out 2017. Is your life dedicated to bringing glory to God? In the world that is constantly trying to seek the next success, in a world that is constantly trying to break new ground, trying to pioneer new land, trying to uh, innovate and trying to um, invent new things. In a world that's constantly trying to get the corner office, that's trying to get the raise, that's trying to get the paycheck and the white picket fence and the house and the two and a half kids and the cars and the little uh, labradoodle that tackles you as soon as you get home. In, in a world that's trying to get this perfect life set up, it, it's, it's not about your glory. It's not about your achievements. It's not about your placards. It's not about what you can and can't do, for you will never be able to take any of that with you when you die. In this world, it's not about us. It's about bringing glory to God. I don't think God on judgment day is going to look at you and ask how fast you can run the 40, how much money you made in your lifetime. I think he's going to ask you how much money you gave to help others. I don't think he's going to ask you um, how, how successful you were in your business. I think he's going to ask you how well of a steward you were with what he gave you. God is not about you just being successful for that. He's, he's about you being successful that you might bring him more 
glory. And so at your job, are you about bringing glory to God? Is that your motivation? At school, students, are you about bringing glory to God? And when you're sitting in your classrooms and walking in your hallways, is that your motivation? Or are you just there to get a grade? I know grades are important. Don't get on to me like that. I, I love, uh, I'm all about making straight A's. But man, there's, God has you there for a greater purpose than just grades. You're there to bring glory to him. When you're at Starbucks, when you're at Walmart, when you're, when you're doing your daily life, are you all about bringing glory to God? Because if you are, it will change your behaviors, it will change your actions, and it will change your words. Jesus, even moments before his betrayal, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's saying his last few words before he's arrested and placed on trial. Jesus asked, hey, God, if there's any other way, let that be so, but not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Now, I, I think that's kind of the, the essence of this message and this talk today. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I, I know I want success. I know I want to succeed. I know I want to raise. I know I want the paycheck. I know I want the job. God, but not my will, but your will be done. Can I be honest with you? I never thought it was in God's will for me to move 1,500 miles away from everything I ever knew, born and raised in Texas. But in the process, not my will, but your will be done. God, I, I, I believe that God's will will take us places we never dreamed we would go. And that he'll do things through and in our lives that we never expected him to do. Because he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ever ask or imagine. If you will heed his call and respond accordingly. In a world full of glory seekers, Jesus calls us to be glory bringers. This past summer, my wife and I took a few students, several students, to San Antonio, Texas on a missions trip. And we're there in the inner city and we're doing inner city work and we're hanging out with children. We're doing cute um, like street vacation Bible schools with the really stupid dances. And like I'm, I'm so not about that. I look like a fool, but I'll do them uh, like for, for the kids. Like that's what it's about. So like I'll make myself look like a fool in the moment. We're there face painting, hanging out. We're, we're doing all this stuff. Other days, we're at food pantries and we're giving out food to all these ministries at 5.30 in the morning that they could go back to their areas of the city so that they could distribute food to their community. We're, um, we, we would spend time uh, one day, several hours in these alleyways that were overgrown with shrubs, trees, thorns, and, 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 uh, and, and all of the stuff. And we're in there with hacksaws and weed eaters and lawnmowers. And we're out for 107 degree weather. We're out there just sweating buckets, man, working hard. And, and it's only natural that on these trips, there's that one student that starts asking you when you're 30 minutes from home, are we there yet? And it's a five-hour drive. And that same student, when we're there at the missions trip and we're there serving and we're there giving and we're there working, that same student is constantly asking, hey, what's next? Hey, when do we get to eat? Hey, when do we get this as we're serving food uh, to, to homeless people? Hey, can I have some? No! What do you think? They don't have a home. And so we're like, we're, we're here and we're serving and we're working and he's constantly berating me with these questions. 
And every time I'm, I was reminded of what the missionary who kind of led the trip was uh, told us at the beginning of the week. He, he told us a story about he served for 15 years in Monterey, Mexico with a mission organization there. And they had a motto and he told us this motto and it became my mantra for the week. And I asked that you would write it down, take notes, jot it down, whatever. Uh, but this, that, this would be your mantra for 2018 and beyond. He told us this, that whenever they got tired, whenever they got weary there in Monterey, Mexico, that they would just repeat this over and over. And they would have to remind each other and remind themselves about this mantra that they would stay on task and stay focused and remember why they're there. The mantra, the motto was this, it's not about me, it's all about them. In fact, it's never about me, it's always about him. It's not about me, it's all about them. In fact, it's never about me. It's always about him. I know that's simple. I know that that is so basic. I know that's so elementary. But, but, but please, please, please don't take that for granted. Sometimes the best things we can do in life is to go back to the basics. And I think God wants us to grasp today for this next year that it's not about you. It's all about others. It's not about you. In fact, it's always about God. No matter what you do or where you go or where you find yourself or whatever you find yourself doing in the good and the bad of this next year and the happy and in the sad, it's not about you. It's all about others. In fact, it's never about you. It's always about God. As we close out 2017 and take this next step into 2018, I ask, I ask, that God would help us to not be selfish, but to be selfless. That God would help us not to seek our own glory, but to be a glory bringer. That when we come to service, when we come to church, we would be on one mission, that's to bring glory to God. When we're at work, we'd be there to bring glory to God. And that everything we do would be centered around bringing him glory. And as we do that, our behaviors will adjust. Our words will begin to shift. Why? Because we have a heart change, not just behavior change.